several years ago now, Christina and I went over to the calling hours to one of our neighbors. We didn't actually know them very well. They hadn't lived in the neighborhood all that long. But the husband had died, and um, so we went over to the calling hours at the funeral home to meet with them. And, you know, we went, it's always kind of awkward when you go through calling hours and, you know, you're going through the line, you really don't know the people, and we really didn't know any of the children or any of that kind of piece. And, and we, I remember talking to the widow and just asking her, you know, had been sick or, or what? And she was t- kind of telling the story about how her husband had died. And then she made this statement. She said, she said and, I, and, I, and I just hope he's in a better place. And as I walked out of the funeral home that day, I, I was just heartbroken. Can, can there really be anything sadder that somebody could say at the death of a family member than, gee, I, I hope they went to heaven. You know, I, I hope they didn't go to hell. I, I hope they went to heaven. You know, and it, it just reminded me, you know, about, you know, it, it, here God, through the Apostle John, has said to us, I, I've, these things I've written that you may know, or these things that I have written that you can be certain that you have eternal life. And in the age when we can print all kinds of books like this, here's somebody who's not sure about their eternal destination. You know, when I was in seminary, you know, they wanted to make sure that no pastor graduated from the seminary who wasn't able to share their faith, so they made us take a personal evangelism class, you know, and really, to tell you the truth, it really came down to just memorizing this gospel presentation. We did a few other things, but they had this long, drawn-out gospel presentation. They called it continuing witness training, kind of a lot like evangelism explosion for any of you who've ever been through that kind of thing. And and I remember they they even taught you how to start a spiritual conversation. You know, so at the beginning of it was, was fire, family, interests, religious background. Like, when you go to church, where do you go? And then there was the exploratory question, and, and, and this is exactly how they had you learn it. If you were to die tonight, do you know for certain that you'd go to heaven? And I'm thinking to myself, as, as a New Englander who doesn't like to mess around, we're thinking, oh, I like that, straight to the point, you know, and no tiptoeing, just right out there. But, you know, on the other end, many of us, when we, if we're presented that, with that question, we kind of find it a little unnerving, don't we? Do you know for certain that if you were to die right now, walking across the parking lot, got run over by a beaver, you know, which we have out here with a you did, do you know for certain you're gonna go to it's I hope so. And I gotta tell you that that a lot of our hesitancy, a lot of our reservation, our uncertainty comes from the fact that we really don't know how salvation works. We've had a passage of Scripture that was read for us, verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. I'd love it if you just would grab one of your, your own Bible and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to, we're on page 994 today. You should find one of those underneath your seat. I'm going to walk through this a little bit as we go forward and I want, I want to put this a little bit in context with the way Paul's writing. First of all, as Paul's writing here, he, 
there's a lot of times when he just, he just kind of gets caught up in what he's writing. He just kind of runs on. And literally, verses 1 through 10, it's really kind of hard to figure out where the sentence starts and where it ends. It just kind of keeps unfolding. And, but in his flow of thoughts, it's along this line. He started out with chapter 1. He was talking to them about the, you know, the fact that they've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he's articulated some of those. And then he's offered a prayer for them that they would have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. They would have the eyes of their heart open so that they could actually see how to experience, to receive, to, to actually live out, to be a blessed people with all these blessings that God has given to them. And then he goes on to tell them why they're blessed. And he talks about the way that God has brought man and God back together in Christ. He's going to go on in the latter part of the chapter and talk about how he's taken man and reconciled with man, how he's taken Jew and Gentile and brought them together into one body with Christ, that they have been, that God is working out, he's, he's reconciling all things in Jesus, bringing everything underneath Jesus. And he starts here with how he's brought man and God back together. Let me just reread the passage for us. I encourage you to follow along. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain and the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too, it's a big shift. Notice verse 1, he uses the word you. He's pointing at the Gentiles, at the Ephesians. Here he uses the word we, referring to the Jews. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. The Jews, even though they were the recipients of the promise, they were just as dead as the Gentiles who didn't know anything about the promises of God. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And by nature, we were children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, <laughs> but God, who's abundant in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace, you are saved. He also raised us up with him, and, and he seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We get to be the trophies. We're going to fill the trophy case. So God's immeasurable grace and kindness can be on display for all eternity. Verse 8, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. You, you are a blessed people who have been reconciled back to God by grace. You are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast or take credit. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. God, just grant us understanding now into your word. For we prayed in Jesus' name, amen. I think one of the reasons why we struggle with certainty about our salvation, why that even many of you would find it unnerving 
to answer that question, say, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven, is that we, we have a lot of misunderstandings about salvation, about how God actually saves us. I've got a little slide here I want to, I want to show to you. One of the things that strikes me is that we think often about salvation as really kind of being a spiritual self-help kind of program, you know? I mean, it's, it's where spiritually we're just fat and out of shape. We're just bloated with sin, you know? And, and, and we're, we're dying from it. And that Jesus comes along as our physical, our spiritual trainer and kind of whips us into shape, you know? You know you, and, and that's not the way it works. It, can you imagine if Jesus had come up to the blind guy and he says to the blind, he says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, man, I want to see. Jesus says, okay, you know what? We can do this together, you know? So he, he grabs the guy's head, you know, and he's whispering into his ear. So, all right, I want you to blink your eyes 10 times really fast, you know? And the guy's blinking away. And then Jesus says, well, now I, I'm going to hold your eyes open. I want you to stare into the sun for two minutes, you know? And the guy's staring into the sun and his eyes start to hurt. And he's trying to turn his head away. And Jesus is whispering in his ear, you can do this. You can do this. We're, coming, we're around in the corner. We're going for the finish line. You can... It's not the way it works. Or imagine Jesus said to the lame, you know, the lame guy says, well, paralyzed, lie on the side of the road. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to walk. And Jesus said, all right, you know what? Just, just lie down on the ground. You know, just. That got your attention, didn't it? All right, there we go. Just, just lie down on the ground, you know, and just, just feel the cool of the earth against your body. Just breathe in the air through your nostrils and feel filling your lungs and then just sense your heart beating and your stomach growling and just let the sensation conclude now down to your legs and now wiggle your big toes and come on you can do this concentrate that's not the way it works it's not the way it works you know where salvation starts starts here we're dead you're in a casket dead says you were dead in your trespasses and your sins there's no, there's no self-help kind of thing. You are totally, I am totally helpless when we start this process of salvation. We are dead in our sins, flat out dead. And God in his grace and in his mercy and in his kindness steps in and in the work of Jesus Christ throughout his life on the cross through the resurrection, he takes us from being in a casket and we get to land up sitting next to Christ in the heavenly places looking just like him. And salvation is God's idea from beginning to end. And we have nothing. It's not self. It's not Jesus whispering. You can do this. It is God. We start out dead. And God makes us alive in Christ Jesus. And because it's all God, you and I can have certainty about our salvation. We'll talk a little bit more about the word as we go. Now, here's a few things I want you to see. We, we, we often think about the fact, okay, what, what, what's happening is that sin is killing me. So if I, if I get rid of the sin in my life and I do enough good works, then I'll move from death to life. And you get this 
spiritual fitness kind of idea. If I can just be disciplined enough, rigorous enough, get enough to go to enough Bible studies, listen to enough sermons on, you know, on, on Twitter or whatever, you know, if I can just do all this stuff, somehow I can move from death to life. I, I just whip myself. It's not the way it works. We, sin in our lives isn't what kills us. The sin in our lives proves to us that we're already dead. See, the fruit of deadness is sin. It shows us that we are dead. It's not showing us what's killing us. It shows us that we are already dead. I mean, we, out behind the church building, there's a, there's a swamp. And this is the time of the year, right, when all the trees are budding and et cetera. You can take a look at the trees in the swamp. Do they, do they have any, any leaves on them? I mean, there's no leaves on them whatsoever. They, they are dead. If you need firewood this winter, when the pond is, you know, when the swamp is frozen over, you can come out here with your chainsaw, cut it down. It'll be fresh and clean, ready to go, dry. Because this stuff is dead. And it's the lack of fruit that shows that it's dead. That's not the way to work spiritually. Spiritually, when we are dead, there is fruit in our lives that shows that we are dead. And that fruit, it's not what's killing us. It's what shows us that we're already dead. And Paul calls those things sin and trespasses, that you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, verse 1. Now, this word trespass is, is kind of an interesting word, and so is the word sin. And the word sin, it's really like a shooting kind of analogy. You know, down the street from my house is the Eight Point Sportsman's Club. You know, we have, we have a guy in our life group on Wednesday night, Jeremy DeAngelis, who belongs to the Eight Point. He goes over there to shoot ski. Okay, so, you know, you stand on the range. I haven't done this often, but you stand on the range, you know, and you got, you got your shotgun in your hand, and you yell, pull, and out comes, what is that, the, the prey or whatever. It goes to the pigeon, and he flies out. He takes his run, and he aims, and he shoots. If he misses it, the Scripture would say he sinned. It's just to aim and to miss. So, Think of it this way. Sin is God gives us something to aim at, and we miss it. We want to think that sin is stuff like, you know, well, it's the, it's the ad of Hitler's of the world. And they're certainly sinners. There's no doubt about it. But sin, biblically, is simply not hitting what it is that God has called us to aim at. If you are not the person that God wants you to be, you've sinned. If you're not the husband that God wants you to be, you've sinned. If you're not the wife God wants you, doesn't mean that you're not a good husband, doesn't mean you're not a good wife, doesn't mean you're not a good parent, doesn't mean you're not a good person, but if you're not the person that God has called you to be, then, and you've missed the mark, the scripture would say you've sinned. And that shows you that you're dead in your sins uses the word trespass here. This is the idea of to fall short or to, to take the wrong kind of road. And the imagery is literally you come to a fork in the road and there's a right way and a not right way and, and you take the wrong way. You take the not right way and you move away from where God wants you to go. And you fall, you come short, you slip up. It's, and and he, I love the imagery that he uses later about indulging the flesh and the mind. And, you know, this, 
this certainly has some overtones for sexual kind of stuff and that kind of things related to adultery and premarital sex and all those kinds of things, sexual immorality and pornography, but, but it's far more than that. You know, he said sometimes we, we just slip and we, 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 we take the wrong way and things that are, that are just, just come out of our minds, things like pride, envy, jealousy, lack of forgiveness. Sometimes we just get frustrated and want to take it out on somebody else. I, I told the first service there, there was a time early in our marriage, Christina and I, we were living in Texas, going to seminary, and we had been married for like a year, two years, or whatever, and, and my father's family is from Missouri, from my, and so they lived around the Springfield area, so I don't know if it was Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, but we're, we're leaving the Fort Worth area and traveling to Springfield, and we're li- driving overnight. So we're on the road. We're going up to Oklahoma before we kind of hang a right and go into Missouri. And we're in our Volkswagen Rabbit. You know, we're tooling along. I'm driving, and she's, she's asleep in the chair in the seat next to me. You know, it's like 1130 at night, midnight or whatever. And we come up into the center of Oklahoma City or whatever, and there's a fork in the road. And I took the wrong one. But it was her fault. I mean... I'm driving. How, how could I be expected to look at the map? You know, she should have been awake reading the map, you know. And I let her know that it was her fault. The scripture says that's indulging the flesh. Anybody ever done that? Evidence. We're dead. He said, it goes, you know, if, 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 you're just, if you're just living life like everybody else, you're dead. If you're just following the course of the world, Living according to, you're dead. If, if your definition of success for yourself is the same as the world's, you're dead. If your definition of success for your children is the same as the world's, you're dead. You're just doing life like everybody else. It says if you're not, and I, he, he, the idea, if you're living according to the, the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the, in the disobedient, uh, you know, there's a lot of pieces that go with all of that, and we don't have time for all that this morning, but, but I want to tell you, if you're not intentionally and deliberately working to live your life by the truth of God, and it's a struggle to do so in the places where you work and in your home and in your neighborhood, that you really work it hard to be the godly, then you're just riding with the time. You're just, you, if you're just living that life naturally, you're, you're just doing life the way the evil one has got it laid out. So all of that is to show you that you're dead. Not, it does not kill in you. It's the fruit that grows off of the tree that's already dead. And you're dead in your trespasses, in your sins. But notice that while Paul uses the word previously, you previously worked in these things. Well, how did that all get changed? And it's that little phrase at the beginning of verse 4. But God. God steps in. And, and the scripture tells us that God had four major motivations for stepping into the world and moving that which was dead and making it possible for them to live again in Christ. Look what he says. He says he was abundant in mercy. He said he had a great love. He said he had grace, an immeasurable grace grace in verse 7. And then he also had great kindness. The word mercy is is really just kind of compassion in action. You know, you, you, you 
You, you see somebody, you see something that's, you know, you watch these news stories about how they're rescuing animals out of the seas or the people who are trying to push the dolphins back off the beach. That, that's, that's an act of compassion. It's mercy. You know, you, you see somebody in the city who's homeless and they're struggling, they don't have enough food or whatever, and you, you give them money or you give them your lunch or whatever. That's an act of mercy. God had great mercy on us. It also says he had a great love for us. It's, 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 all, it's probably the hardest thing because mercy is, you know what? Here, you can have my lunch and you walk away. Great love is you pick them up, you put them in your car, you bring them home, you clean them up, you put them at your table, and you invest in them for as long as you possibly can. So God, God, God loved us. Today, a great grace. That means he, he gave us that which we did not deserve. It's an undeserved gift. And he did it out of the kindness, out of the goodness of his heart. God stepped in and he provided for us that which we could never provide by, for ourselves. And that is the possibility of forgiveness through the death, life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God did that. His motivation was his mercy and his love and his grace and his kindness. And that gift of God becomes operative in our lives by faith. And when that happens, it says that you and I are made alive, <laughs> you know? And not only that, it says that, that we go from like, kind of like being in Adam, being in death, and now God puts us in Christ, which means that even though our feet are on the ground here, our souls, our spirits, our minds are actually at the right hand of the God's, of God seated next to Christ. It's an incredible kind of picture for us. But I want you to see the place of works in all of this. Paul, Paul goes through a conversation. He talks about works. He tells, this is what works don't do. And he talks about what works do do. What, what, what are works, first of all? Works are, are those things in our lives that we do to give evidence of the fact that we love God. He said, when it comes to salvation, works have nothing to do with it. Zip, zero, zilch, nothing. Salvation from the moment God conceived of it in his heart and his mind to the time it's going to be fulfilled when we spend all of eternity with him after all of human history is wrapped up. All of that is God. We, we've got no place in it. Well, what about works then? Our, our works don't have anything to do with our salvation. Just like our sins are the fruit that show us that we're dead, our good works are the fruit that show us that we're alive in Christ. They don't make us alive in Christ. They show that we are alive in Christ. Look at verse 10. He said that you and I are God's workmanship. We are his creation. And we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. I mean, if you, if you turn the Christian over, it should say made in heaven. You know? And, and the stuff that comes out of it is it what we do to, to show that it's the fruit that shows that you and I are alive. Our works don't save us. Our works are what show us that God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. I got to tell you, I think this is a place where many people who are familiar with the gospel, familiar with church, have kind of heard these kinds of sermons before. This is where their uncertainty lies. Either because on one end, they still think that works somehow or another have a role in making them saved, making them pleasing to God, making them alive in Christ. You know, I, I know God makes them alive, but somewhere in there, I, I, you know, I got to trim down from the overweight to the fit Christian, and I got to like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. 
and, and we get, we, we still think our works and so, well, have I done enough? And, and, and our confidence goes right out the door. And the other is that some of us look at, our, look at the works in our lives and we say, boy, there's not a lot of fruit in that tree. We moved into our house. There were six blueberry bushes down at the bottom of the hill off of our driveway. Now I have like one in the third. You know, because they just weren't producing and I guess I don't know how to raise blueberries and, and they just kind of kept getting cut, cut by, the tra- by the tractor as time went along. You know, just kind of run them over and we have one big one left. But, you know, some of us, our, our lives are like those blueberry bushes. There's just not a lot of blueberries on them. There's a few leaves here and there, but there's a whole lot of dead sticks sticking out. And we're looking at it and we're saying, maybe I'm really not alive. But I want to talk a little bit about the nature of faith. Now, faith here says, that, you know, it is by grace that you are saved by faith. It is the gift of God, you know, not, not of works, it, it, not of ourselves. There's nothing that we do. It's not a work at all that we do. Faith is the response of our spirit to allow the provision of God's forgiveness and his new life to enter into our lives by Christ. But here's a statement I want you to see. And, and I, you know, theologians have been fighting about this stuff for 500 years and all those kinds of stuff, and I don't have all the answers. You know, all I know is that our salvation and our faith somehow or another are a gift from God. It says, you know, it is by grace that you are saved by faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's God's gift, and, and so it's not only grace, but it's also our faith that somehow or another is a gift that God gives to us. And, and I got to tell you, one of the fears I have is that often we think about our faith as some, well, you know, I can, I can decide to do that next week, or I can do that next year, or when I hit 30, I'll turn on the faith, faith button or whatever. And then somehow or another, we have control over it. I got to tell you, if we have control over it, it's a work. It's not a gift. And, and when the Spirit is prompting, you better respond. That's all I can say. If the Spirit is prompting, you ought to respond. If the Spirit is speaking, you better, you better respond. If God is calling, you better answer. Because if you think, well, this is under my control, you've just made salvation a work. And that's not the way it works. And you're never going to be able to answer the question, do you know for certain that you're going to spend eternity in heaven? You're never going to be able to answer it with absolutely. Because you've kept it under your control instead of God speaking to you. It's, it's a powerful word to us. Many of us are saying, well, I'll decide about this stuff later. And God, God is speaking. Now, I got to tell you, you know, if you asked me this morning, do you know for certain you're going to spend eternity in heaven if you were to die today? And I'd tell you yes. You know why I tell you yes? It's because when I was 11 years old in a church service, God called me, and I responded. I had nothing to do with it. It was all God. There's been moments in my life where there's a whole lot more fruit of that than some others, but there's always been fruit. And I didn't have anything to do with it. God designed a plan. He executed it. He spoke it to my heart, and he led me to respond. And it's all God. 
And one of the great things is because I don't have anything to do with it, I can't mess it up. And therefore, I know for certain that I'm going to spend eternity with a Father in heaven. Do you know for certain? Is the Spirit prompting? Has the Spirit prompted in the past? And you said, well, maybe later. I got to tell you, and I'm not trying to be melodramatic. Many of you have been here. That's not my style. We're not looking for emotional responses to God or any of that kind of stuff. It's just, just not us. But I got to tell you, you know, the thing I want my family to be able to say when folks are walking through the calling hour lines at my funeral is for them to be able to say, I know where, I know he's in a better place. I know he's in a better place. And that's what I want for all of us as well. For it is by grace that you were saved by faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man may boast. And he took those who were dead in their trespasses and made them alive with Christ in the heavenlies. Do you know for certain? Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your mercy, for your great love, for your kindness, for your grace. We're grateful for the fact that it led to your eternal plan to step into our world in a person of your son who lived a perfect life died on a cross to settle all of the issues related to sin for mankind, was resurrected from the grave so that we might live a new life. And through him, Father, you grant us the gift of eternal life through him. God, thank you for the certainty we can have. And for those here today whose the Spirit is prompting, who's calling, I pray for them that they might respond and know for certain that they have eternity in their hearts to who Jesus is, who Jesus was, to who Jesus will always be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.